Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hi, I'm Paul Denman. Um, I help people to manage their finances for them and their families for the future. Um, and I'd like to say a very warm welcome to the Inspiring Leadership Programme, um, hosted by Jonathan Bowman Perks. Thank you very much indeed, Paul. It's lovely to have you on here. It was Rara Plumtree who very kindly said she found you incredibly inspiring and she wanted you on the series. So it's lovely to have you here. Tell us a bit, Paul, about what you're doing right now, and then we'll perhaps go back to the early childhood to, to learn about the man who you are today with all the experiences you've had and the kind of quirks. I think we, we describe ourselves as the incomplete leader, hopefully trying to build a complete team. But tell us about yourself now, and then let's go back to, to childhood. Yeah, well, predominantly today, um, my, my role in life has, has been in financial services for the last 36 years. and. Uh, my, my role has developed over time to be uh, somebody who holds the hand of people metaphorically um, in looking after their finances, managing their money, making sure that their the next generation, indeed the next generations, plural, um, are, are okay, uh, helping them through the, the, the minefield that is regulation today and uh, and how things work in the financial world. Uh, and, and basically, I see them as being their, their financial friend, if you like, the person that they can pick up and say, uh, do you know, I'll, I'll phone Paul, he'll know the answers to that, he'll be able to help. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, as far away from the, the bad old days of selling products and so on that people uh, remember from the 80s and so on, uh, very much uh, be, be the client's friend. That's brilliant. And and, and being the client friend is, is quite an important one. Sorry, I had a bit of a coughing fit there. <laughs> That's okay. Let, let's go, go back to childhood. Tell us about, you know, where you grew up, who, who was the inspiring leaders or the figureheads who shaped the values that you hold today and the way you show up with your clients? Yeah, um, I, I grew up in Tombridge in Kent, um, had a very happy childhood. My probably the two people who um, I, I looked up to the most, uh, well, for, for, for the whole time that they were alive, actually, both of them. First of all, was my, my maternal grandfather, who uh, who was a very, very interesting man. He fought in the First World War. He was, you know, he was a, a, a private in the in the in the trenches and uh, and and had numerous uh, injuries from shrapnel and so on. Uh, but you know, never spoke of them. And you know, got better, went back out and did it again, type thing. And uh, uh, and he was the most astonishingly, uh, having been given a few weeks to live. Uh, my parents had moved into a new home. He decided to dig up their entire garden, get rid of all the uh, builders uh, rubbish from the new house build that was there and dug great big trenches all around the uh, the garden and backfilled all of the rubbish into there and put all the nice soil on the top, broke five spades and a couple of pickaxes, having been given a few weeks to live and then lived another 13 years. Um, and I think that incredible tenacity and strength of character when somebody says you've got a few weeks to live to then just to, to then just proven wrong completely um so that was that was certainly some somebody who uh, was was a, a, a and I, I learned a lot about him about uh, the outdoors and uh, and and 
growing vegetables and gardening and all sorts of things like that but that wasn't the point he and I were great friends and um my father was also um it was my biggest probably my biggest influence in my life um he the, the one thing I learned from him that has been probably the most useful thing in my entire life is how to treat people and uh, that to you know to, to crack your joke not take anything too seriously do what you're going to uh, what you say you're going to do sometimes that we all know that isn't always possible in life you can't always uh, live up to the expectations you give yourself and others you try um, but to be fair to everybody to treat everybody fairly um, and to uh, you know and, and to be an honest and uh, uh, and friendly chatty individual and take time to talk to people um, so huge huge influence in that and I probably didn't realize until quite recently how important that has been career-wise it's it's lovely to have that kind of upbringing and that kind of role model uh, and it's interesting your grandfather my my grandfather was also in the first world war in the honorable artillery company and uh, was injured twice and left in a trench to die but crawl back after three days they thought he was hello george good to see you back old boy i didn't didn't think you thought you'd bought a blighty you know or you'd gone um but he, he was never kind of right after that and and uh like that generation they all smoked heavily so he died of lung cancer eventually but i think mm. probably looking back he was suffering from ptsd from all the shell shock he had but they all just thought he was a grumpy old man um so it mm. is interesting the the influence of your grandfather and of, of your father and, and and in your life what as you look back on all the different experiences what about proudest happiest moments and what about a, a dark moment and what did you learn from both of those moments yeah, um, I've I've been very lucky in that I, I've I've had, you know, uh, other than the death of your relative and my father and so on, it, it's I've been very very fortunate as an individual. I don't think I had too many dark moments. I think um, uh, something that I I was also picked up from my late father was uh, a love of the theatre, and I, I I got involved many years ago with a um, a local theatre company, and we incorporated it eventually into a charity after it was about 100 years old and, and did a lot of uh, local charitable uh, work through through that by raising money for charity through the theatre. And I, I think one of my um, one of my dark moments when doing that, which is uh, in a way is, is funny. Um, I, I was getting we had lots of volunteers and people and we had a I was chairing then a board of 10 or 12 people and the, I, the, the feeling amongst the board members were that a number of people were not pulling their weight. There were quite a lot of people who came along, had a bit of fun on stage, did nothing else and disappeared. Um, or in, in the bar after the theater, after the production, you know, quicker than, than I could run 100 metres. But they, um, so one thing I did on one particular occasion was I, we were in this great big uh, gymnasium at a, at, a, at a school where we used to rehearse our plays. And um, I got everybody, I was doing a, a talk about various things and I got everyone, I said, right, everyone over this side of the room. So everyone went to one side of the room and I then said, right, on the other side of the room, please, all those people who sit on our board, all those people who serve on any of our subcommittees, all those people who showed up for the, uh, the, 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 um, the, the marketing event in the town last Saturday, all those people who um, have uh, helped with costumes or whatever it was, there were about another five or six categories. And it left a bunch of people over one side and, um, who were the people who'd contributed nothing, <laughs> nothing at all to anything that year. Um, it, in some respects, I thought it was inspired leadership. In other ways, it was a bit of a dark time because I managed to unintentionally upset 
probably a quarter or a third of the company um, um, in one five minute, not quite rant. Um, however, I mean, it was a dark moment. It was a dark moment in many respects because I then sort of didn't know what to do. I got some people on one side of the room who were upset and some other people who were feeling quite smug and I hadn't actually achieved anything other than perhaps that some people suddenly thought, oh, we don't do very much. Um, but I look on the bright side of that and think, well, do you know, that was, that's been spoken about over the last, that, that was in 2007, I believe, uh, on numerous occasions since. Um, and often I've, I, when, when I was still chairman of that company, I, I, I threatened that we would do it again. <laughs> so, um, and yes, and, and it was, it was, it was funny. It was a, it was a dark moment in, uh, of suddenly realizing I'd put myself in a position I couldn't get out of easily. Um, I'd upset half the people. You know, it was it was Look an interesting at, situation. Looking back, how do you think you could have made the most of that occasion? I think it's a good idea to have done that. But how do you think you could have made the best out of it now, looking back? Oh, I've, I've thought that thought of that many times. Um, it would have been very simple to say, "Look, I'd just like to congratulate the people who've been doing lots of things. We've still got another two and a half months left." There's plenty of opportunity for you to join this crowd over here. So we have nobody on the left hand side of the room, you know, by the time we get to March or November or whatever month it was. Um, that would have been that would have been the win. Um, all I did was really criticise. I didn't I didn't um, I didn't do any stroking of anybody. It was uh, yeah. I didn't I didn't I didn't make best. It was a, the idea had some some really good idea behind thoughts behind it. But it came across um, perhaps slightly too aggressively when everyone is a volunteer. Yeah, no, and, and I was just thinking um, exactly as you'd said, but but also um, what's you know, almost like taking them as a group and say, look, can you just work out each of you? And what what skills and attributes do you bring? You know, what would you, where would you like to add um, some value? Because we need your help. What what which particular area are you going to choose? So you know, can you choose yeah. an area? Yeah. <clears throat> no. uh, or 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 find your happiness elsewhere, as one of my <laughs> old bosses would say. Yeah. Yeah. Oh dear, that's brilliant. I love that. And um, talking about a better advice, aren't we all so smart after the event? Oh gosh, I think of the occasions where I've got things so badly wrong and then that it's so easy to, you know, I think it was um, Steve Jobs who said you join up the dots afterwards and you make sense of what went on and, and, and we can be armchair critics on any particular thing or great sportsmen where we would have been a much better coach of Liverpool than the actual coach himself was, but of course we never were. Uh, I think it's called the Denning-Kruger effect. The Denning-Kruger effect. Oh, right. I was just re reading about this in an excellent book. Denning and Kruger got together, did some research. And the book is called Think Again um, by Adam Grant. Uh, and he's basically saying that the guy who designed things like Blackberry um, did incredibly well, got it going, and it was really so successful. But then he didn't think again. He just carried on not accepting that things had changed and the Apple phone was coming along. But equally, Steve Jobs... Um, he loved the Apple as a computer. And they said, his team, his, his engineers said, we need to have a phone. No, I don't do phones. We don't do phones. None of that phone stuff, mobile phones, not us. We are beautiful computers. And they kept on at him, but he did think again, because obviously, as you know, it's all famous now. Six months later, he goes, oh, all right, then what is this phone thing? And they presented to him this thing. Okay, we'll try it. I'm not sure it's good. And of course, it's taken the world by storm. But the BlackBerry guy wouldn't think again. He carried on with his set way of thinking. So it just the Denning-Kruger effect is when your competence uh, does not match your confidence. So people are full of their own self-importance. And they're awfully like the guy in charge of Iceland during the financial crash. 
He was one of 20 people to cause the crash. He knew nothing about financial services, but he was in charge of all their banking system and wouldn't uh, and told that the banks he wouldn't support them. And they all crashed and it, it rippled onto Britain, as you know, from personal experience. Denning Absolutely. Kruger effect. When you meet someone who is so arrogant that they don't realize they could be wrong and they need to think again. You ever come across anybody like that, Paul? Uh, yeah, yes, I have ones. They, they shan't be named. But um, the other thing that occurred to me in that particular situation was I allowed my frustration at some of the people, you know, not pulling their weight to, to boil over into, you know, a, a situation. That, yeah, I, 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 it would have been the better thing to have done in that whole situation was have a quiet word with the people who weren't doing anything um, one by one individually, which is what I would do today. That is exactly what I would have done today. It's what my father would have done if I'd looked back and thought about that. So, um yeah, take the time to talk to people and find out why they're not doing something. You don't know what's happening in their lives. And of course, exactly. you know, things like mental illness are becoming so, so more, much more prevalent now, uh, talking about it at least, uh, than they ever were 10, 15 years ago. So, um, yeah, uh, learn, understand, listen, and then make yeah. a decision, not uh, just shoot from the hip because you so, feel a bit frustrated. So true, isn't it? So true. Praise publicly um, and find reason to chastise quietly and privately. Never, never public ritual humiliation, which was very much a, a military thing. <laughs> and uh, yes. they'd, they'd, they'd all parade, one step forward. What are you doing, Perk? Stand still, you're fired. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> um, okay. Um, yeah, what, what about the advice that you'd give to the young 18-year-old or 16-year-old Paul Denman? Now you, you, you've made all these mistakes you've made in life and learned lots. What, what, what bit of advice? I, I imagine that will be the easiest question you'll fire at me today. Um, for me, um, and it's something I, I have a son who's eight years old, and I would say the same thing to him if he was sitting here right this, at this moment, is that is is to have is is to be confident, be more confident in yourself, believe in yourself. Um, I look back at um, uh, amazingly, uh, and we go back to my father and the uh, um, the, the theatre side of things because uh, when I was probably even as old as 13, 14, 15, I was incredibly shy uh, and to telephone the uh, the train set shop and ask for a piece of my train set and agree to go if they had it and go and collect it later that day was beyond me. I couldn't do that to pick up the phone and make a phone call and speak to somebody I didn't know. Um, unwittingly by my father encouraging me in, in his passion of the theatre, I, I learnt that if you're on the stage, in the middle of the stage on your own and it's your turn to speak, sing, dance, whatever it is you're doing, then you have two options. One is walk away or do it there are no other options um so uh for me it would be to have look have confidence in what you're doing believe in yourself uh, and, and if you do make a mistake and you look a bit stupid learn from it don't worry about it um so all about absolutely all about confidence and i think so many mm. so many people don't have confidence in their own abilities i think that's beautifully put and and i remember i got a bit of advice from someone in the early days when i was lacking confidence in public speaking and um, he said, I'd like you to go up and, and make about five mistakes, you know, words you get wrong, things you get wrong, F five of them, all right? I'd like you to fail five times on stage. And of course, somehow that liberated me from being worried about anything. I, I had five to fail. And then somebody else said to me about, you know, ring up, you know, ring up people to, to get new business. And, and look for about uh, 10 rejections. See if you can log 10 rejections. I'd like you to have 10 people saying no. And of course, we're trying to get 10. You then actually got seven others who said yes, which of course I never would have made the call in the first place if I wasn't trying to hit that target of getting 10 saying no. Not that I was trying to be turned down, but it, it's just interesting when you're prepared to have a go and fail and failure is all right, which many organizations 
are getting better at, but it, it, it was often not allowed. Failure was not an option. I mean, that was the problem with Lehman Brothers where you know it was a good news culture. Someone I knew who worked there, he said, failure was not an option. And therefore when things were going well, that was great, good news, good news, good news. But then when things turned the other way, they couldn't fail, they had to be good news. So they would make stories up and they would change charts and, and tell people to, to change their statistics. And that caused some people I knew to lose hair because they knew it was not right, but they couldn't have bad news. And that's no, never, well, look, never good. No, I mean, to, to err is, is human, isn't it? We, we make mistakes, it, we're, we're, we're fallible. It, it's what happens. And we, if we learn from them, we move on and we don't do the same thing wrong every day. Um, you know, that's, there's, there's a massive learning there, isn't there? And um, yeah, and having the confidence to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, I got it wrong. Um, I'm, I'm really open now to, uh, let's try again, but let's try and do it in a different way and let's make it better. Um, you know, that's how we learn. And I think that that whole culture of getting things wrong and the blame culture in life is, 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 is hopefully getting a lot better in the world today. Yeah, in many areas it is, that's very true. And, and I still meet leaders who, when I ask them, when was the last time you personally got it wrong? They, they go, could could have been seventy nine, maybe nine eighty four. Oh come oh. on, really? No, really? seriously, they go. No, no, I don't think actually. I, I make pretty good judgment. I, I can't think of a time I got it wrong. That is a problem, I say to them. But the other, the normal, uh, authentic leaders go. Do you know what, Jonathan? I make mistakes frequently, and I admit it quite early. Hopefully, recognize it early enough and try and do something about it. And um, it was Norman Schwarzkopf, the uh, the American general. Yes. Uh, I'd rather have Memphis. you fall on your ass in peacetime than in war. Go out there and try and fail, but learn from it so that when the moment comes, you're well experienced. So talking about um, failure and being honest with people, it takes me to the first of the Inspiring Leadership Compass eight elements, which is MQ, moral intelligence uh, or integrity and, and uh, moral integrity quotient, which is about, you know, your foundational values and learning when you slip and, and how you get yourself back on track again to, to being true to your values. Because you work in, in, in a whole sector where there's a vast majority have very high integrity, but it's been famed and it's been in the newspapers, whether it be Ponzi schemes or whether it be people with synthetic CDO swaps trying to get a Ferrari, where there's a lack of integrity. What what have what have you learned about that whole area of morals and integrity, and particularly in in banking? Well, I, I think doing doing the right thing is is the most important thing. Doing the right thing, what is right for the people you're dealing with, it be that your team of people you work with, be that for the company, be that for your clients, be in, and that's in no particular order, by the way. Um, it's it's very important to do the right. If you keep doing the right thing, the results come. If you try and get the results by doing things that aren't right. It's going to it's categorically going to go wrong, not maybe next week, next month, even next year, but at some point it will have gone wrong. Um, and so doing doing the right thing. And I always say to people, don't ever get in a situation where you're looking over your shoulder because you've tried to shortcut something in a way that's not quite right or not in the spirit of it all. And and so on. If you keep doing the right thing, the, the results come. People people will, you know, applaud you for that at some point or, or you'll your win relationships, your You'll, you'll win business because you, um, you know, people realise that you're straight and you do the right thing. Um, cutting cutting out some of the rules and regulations that we have to live in today 
you know they're there for a reason aren't they they weren't yeah. dreamed up just to make life difficult yeah. um so that that's that's absolutely my life no and, and i love that and it's always this one you know i know that in my past when i've got things wrong and i've, I've broken my own code you've got to just look at yourself in the mirror and go no one else knows but you know you, you've got to do the right thing and i think looking yourself hard in the mirror and going you know i almost have a this collection of people whether it be some whether it be marcus aurelius or my late father or thing i sort of imagine that they're there with me and i go well what would they say and you sort of you know what the right thing is but often people manage to obfuscate and go well you know it's, it's sort of it, it's within the it's within the letter of the law but yeah but it's not in the spirit of the law and um, i don't know what your views are on that yeah i think look you, you you know when you've been around for a while you know what's right and wrong don't you you know what's the right thing to do and and if you're in any doubt of that, to have a think before you do it um, and look at it the next morning. Uh, but it's it's usually we're all pretty clear. Anyone who's if you're confident in what you do, you know what you're doing, you will know what's right and wrong. And uh, I think you've just got to look at yourself in the mirror in the morning when you're shaving and uh, know that you've done you're doing the right thing as much as you can. You know, occasionally, occasionally you get a curveball, but you know if you're it, we, none of us get it right all the time. But if you're doing the right thing nearly all the time, then that, that's going to carry in good stead, I think. I think so. Yeah. And then PQ is the next one. Meaning and purpose, uh, person, purpose question. What gives your life meaning and purpose? Why do you or have you done what you do? Um, you know, without so that horrible cliche, that's a very good question. That is a very good question. Um, I, I realise that, that, that um, in, in what I do and uh, my, my role uh, probably in the last uh, 20 years has been almost exclusively a, a people facing role and dealing with people now they may be people with a, a little bit more money than the average person um but they are people all the same and whether they're famous or they're a, a, a famous racing driver or they're um somebody in the media they're, they're all still people and really my win in life if i'm very honest is to have people think what a good chap paul's done a good job that's worked really well for me i'm very happy and regardless of whether they say it or not it's knowing that you have done that and I think that's that is a far greater reward I think than the other types of rewards that are there um and and I I enjoy helping people with you know issues that they have things they've got to sort out responsibilities that they have to to make sure things are in order and um and 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 it working out and uh you know and then being happy yeah no it's uh that's lovely I, I like that very much uh, a sense of you know what you like to do and you know where you can add value and, and and it's not like a job because you enjoy it so much and it's it's people about people and they they feel that you've looked after them so if we move from that to health and well-being hq as we talk mental health physical health and well-being what have you done over the years to look after your mental and physical health and well-being and what have you done when you've let it slip and you've had to bring it back on track any tips and advice um, I'm, I'm a massive believer in uh, uh, the outdoors, nature, wildlife is a huge, huge um, uh, uh, addition to health that uh, that really is an, uh, the elements that I, I really couldn't do without. I, I wouldn't I'd would be uh, a little bit rubbish if I was living permanently in, in, a, in an inner city situation. I, I like to look out and see wildlife fields, woods, you know, gr greenery. Um, so that's that's a huge thing for me. I think also for me to. 
I look at a traumatic time in my life when when my father died and uh, I look back at that and uh, I was I was fortunate enough to be on stage in a theatre the week after and several people said how on earth did you manage to do that within such a short period of your father dying and I said I'm not sure I'd have caped if I hadn't been doing that so um, but that was in something which I see um, using the word inverted commas family I, I have a theatre family I have my family family and then I have my career and my work and uh, my clients and other groups of people that you know that make up one's own network but that that theatre family carried me through that very dark two or three mm. week period um, by being supportive being funny uh, being entertaining and of course taking my mind off of uh, the other things so I didn't have time to think about it so that yeah. was, um, that, was a, that was a very supportive and good time so yeah the outdoors my being doing something that you love doing um, and I think, look, singing, dancing, acting, if you're doing that properly, you cannot think of anything else anyway. Yeah. So it's a brilliant way of getting the, the stress out of the body. Yeah, it's very true. And and humour, we were discussing you and I earlier before, we uh, is very important. Can, can you think of a, a story or an anecdote which was made you all laugh at the time? And you don't have to tell it in a way that we all laugh, but but just to make us smile, what, what could you think of, a, of an amusing occasion? Um. Tumpty, tumpty, tum. Uh, I'm sure there have been so many millions of them, but I can't, I'm trying, just trying to think of a... Um, do you know, I, I might have to come back to that, actually. There's nothing that... I've got a little bit of... No, and, and it's, like, it's like when you put someone on the stage and say, right, tell us a joke. I, go, I can't think of a yes. joke right now. <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll come back to that one. CQ is the next one, which is cultural intelligence quotient, which is adapting to different people, different environments, different backgrounds. Yeah. Um, from from you know famous film stars and motor racing drivers to to anybody in any role, how do you adapt and treat everybody just the same? And what do you do about diversity, equality, and inclusion, which is part of cultural intelligence quotient? Yeah, um, well, look, I, I work for business. The inclusion is an enormous part of it. It's uh, it's, it's taken very seriously and, uh, and and rightly so. I think that in very much in my role um, professionally, uh, I, I meet a, a vast number of very different people. Let, let, let's exclude the last 12 months when none of us really met that many people at all. But um, uh, beyond that, um, I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to meet vast numbers of very, very different people over the course of the year. To an extent, one has to be a little bit of a chameleon and to fit in with your surroundings to a degree because no one if there's 100 people in a room no one person will get on with all 100 of them perfectly i i well I, i've yet to meet the person who does maybe there is a person out there who does but um most probably you won't so you, in a way one has to um listen listen to those people bite one's lip occasionally because you don't always agree with people but you don't need to tell them that that's fine sometimes there's a time and a place to tell people that uh, uh you disagree or you don't have the same view but on the whole listening um it, listening is by far and away the most important thing um as somebody once said to me look we have two ears and one mouth use them in that ratio um and it's you know, I can't remember who said it. It was probably somebody very famous, but it was a um, it was a fantastic thing to to remember. Mm. Um, so if you, if you do listen to people around you and um, you un try to understand them by listening and hearing their point of view on things, um, in a way you start to fit in with them a lot better, and you you know you become more involved in their, their world because you can see it from their point of view. Mm. Um, it was like a, a, was it uh, in the book To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee? There was the 
the lovely quote that you um, and I'm paraphrasing so I can't remember the exact words but the uh, the quote was along the lines of you know you can't really judge a man until you've spent a day walking around in his shoes mm. um, and I think that 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 listening and being involved and understanding somebody's point of view is is, is the secret yeah which takes us nicely on to emotional and social intelligence a, a part of mm. cultural intelligence in some ways you talked about listening already and we have two two eyes two ears and one mouth use them in that proportion is exactly right in emotional and social intelligence and being really interested in someone's life story and who mm. they are and even on these these videos that you and i look at each other's eyes which is always quite hard because the camera is somewhere different from where your eyes are they come up with a great invention which is like a, a camera that moves behind the screen where the other person's eyes are then that would be marvelous wouldn't it i'm sure someone should invent that um, well, we heard it. We heard it here first, Jonathan. So um, yeah, we heard it here <laughs> first. Yeah, I'm sure I should patent it. Um, yeah. But but what have you done? Because emotional and social intelligence is a key part of your role, um, and and certainly dealing with private clients and getting to know them and what they really need and and their their needs. How have you learnt the skills apart from from father and from the theatre? Where else did you? Did you study? Did you read about it? Did you watch others? You know, what, what did you do? Um, it's, it's interesting. I think you build that up over a period of times. Uh, and emotional intelligence, I think, um, I think you either have a reasonable amount of it or you don't. And some, and we're all we're all good and bad at different things. Um, some people struggle with that as a subject a little bit. I, th I think that recognizing a, a good example, a very good example is. Um, in the work that I do, quite often I find myself in what I call a networking situation where I've been invited to the opening of, the launch of, the, the talk about, the whatever it is, which is, you know, standing there with a glass in your hand, turning up, there's 100 people in the room. You realise that you only know the host and they're busy because they're, they're talking in five minutes time. So you can't go and talk to them because their minds on other things. They're only going to say, give you a nod and say hello. And that's fine. That's exactly how they should be. They've got important stuff to do in five or 10 minutes time. So one thing I've learned is to is to just quietly so don't stand in the middle of the room stand at the side of the room and just look around and take in the room for a few moments you can accidentally look at your phone for a couple of seconds and look over it and look around and and not just stand there staring obviously but the the, the, the person in the room who's standing there very clearly on their own over, uh, at the other side of the room who also doesn't know anybody else what they crave is having somebody to talk to because at the moment they feel a bit out of it because they're on their own and going over and um, saying, oh, hello, no, I, you know, I might have seen you before or blah, 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 or coming up with some little piece of small talk just to get a conversation going and to learn about them as a person. And, and that couldn't be any better as a win-win because you then are also speaking to somebody. You're not feeling out of it because you're with somebody, they're with somebody, and you, you've met a new person, which was the whole point of going to this anyway. Um, so that's, uh, it's a win-win-win from where I sit. So... I think, I think just spotting the, the person who looks like they are in the position you, you probably find yourself in uh, and aligning yeah. yourself with them. It, it is fascinating, the whole study of human behaviour and group cocktail parties. And I don't know about mm. you, but I certainly remember uh, in a number of them where you're with someone who's quite senior and you wanted to have a chance to chat with them and they're looking over your shoulder at someone much more interesting and important. And you can tell they're not at all interested in the conversation you're having with them. Perhaps that's just me, maybe. Um, but also, <laughs> it's very interesting when you look at, uh, you study feet and where the feet mm. are pointing, because sometimes you can work out if there's space to join 
in the third part of a triangle between two people where their feet might be slightly open. But if they're straight onto each other and there's no other space, you can't really come and join as the third person unless the foot is slightly pointing out and it, they're almost open to another person joining. It's quite interesting to watch feet. That's a, a bizarre thing I studied in, in um, body language, what everybody, uh, what everybody knows, as in everybody knows. Um, but you, you, allude, you alluded to eyes and looking at people's eyes. And eyes, eyes are very important. Uh, our voice is important, obviously. Um, but also, uh, and it's harder on these screens, isn't it? And I think probably where we've all had a little bit of a vacuum over the last 12 months for the obvious COVID reasons is that we've, we've been confined generally to speaking either on the telephone or on Zoom calls um, as we are now. I, I think really what we're missing there and where it's much harder for people, particularly less confident or experienced people to build up rapport with people they don't know and to get to know people well, is you're trying to do it all almost certainly from voice because even on this call, Jonathan, occasionally there's little bits where we're not quite completely synchronized with our, our, our lips and the volume and, and that's just how it is. Um, and if you're missing out a little bit on the lips and the face and, uh, and the sound is coming at a different speed to that and you can't see the feet pointing in different directions, hand movements, um, whether arms are crossed in a defensive way mm. uh, or open, you know, it's an awful lot. So I think it's made it a little bit as, as fantastically convenient as these things are, and they really are. Um, we, we've lost a little bit of that um, ability to understand people. Yeah, I think we have. And I think some people will find it quite hard to go back to those social settings. There'll be a great rush back to, to socialise for some people. But those who are the ambiverts or the introverts, will be yeah. less excited about it. Um, they'll like to meet a few, but then their energy will probably be spent and they'll want to leave and be back uh, in their own room. So it is an interesting one. And as, as for the stress that goes with people and the travel, many who've been in very busy jobs, travel, 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 always away from home on flights and things like that, or trains and planes and automobiles. They have had the chance to be with their family their close ones and, and actually it's rebuilt for many who are in healthy relationships it's rebuilt those relationships and they've also looked after their health and well-being and their sleep but for those whose relationship was already hold below the waterline being stuck in the same room or same house as with someone they don't like and unfortunately it's been terminal for their relationships so I think the divorce lawyers have been busy with those people who finally realize that actually being with a person that they've loathed for 20 years but haven't had to see them is the end of it but that's a, an interesting story in itself let's go into resilience talking about people getting on with people they might not get on with I'm very lucky I'm uh, here stuck here with my stuck here with my wife and Archie our dog and um, and then it's so nice now to be able to see one or two people uh, and meet them at least uh, with our children who all got their own homes but how do you pick yourself up in times of adversity? If we talk about resilience uh, against adversity, what, what do you do to pick yourself back up? Uh, I, I think, actually, um, we, we do that, that piece of business for you. Um, I largely put a lot of these off there, uh, and I, you know, as, as, as gloomy as January probably 2021 was uh, with, with the, 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 the latest lockdown and so on, you, you have to sit and think, well, Okay, this isn't that bad, is it? I'm confined to my house, which is warm and secure. And um, yes, I'd quite like to go meet some friends, and I'd like to go out and do some things. I can't do that, but actually, there's a TV, there's a telephone, there's um, you know, and for me, luckily, there's a garden and there's some outdoors. Um, but I think one has to put. I think perspective is the is the um, is the answer there, really. 
and just think that there's always somebody worse off. There's um, your perspective is, yeah, if you're irritated or a bit hacked off by what is what it is that's gone wrong happened. Um, and that may be a major health thing. It may be everything else. But you, you've got to look at the bright side and put it all in perspective and look what don't look. Let's not focus on what we haven't got or what went wrong. Let's focus on the positives. Um, OK, we haven't got that thing. That thing didn't happen. But hey, we've still got everything else. So it's fine. Um, I know there are some dire situations. I don't want to be in any way belittle, you know, some more dire situations that some people find themselves in. But for me, that's the answer is just put it in perspective. Yeah, perspective is very important to us. Um, two tips I got. One was the 10, 10, 10. And the other one was your best friend. 10, 10, 10 is when you have a dire situation which needs lots of resilience uh, and adversity. It is to imagine how important is this issue I'm worrying about how important will it be in 10 weeks time? How important will it be in 10 months time? And how important will it be in 10 years time? And then if you really go well, in 10 years, I won't be thinking about this at all, then, then you know, that's good. And the other one was the, the, the military one was, you know, uh, has anybody died? Well, if they haven't, let's, let's put this in a sense of proportion. And then your best friend mm -hmm. was if you have a problem and you're really mulling it over, um, it, it, imagine if your best friend had this problem and write down the advice you'd give them uh, if they had exactly the same scenario and problem you had, and then take it. Mm. Because we're terribly good at giving advice to our best friend, but we're not good at giving really good advice to ourselves. Um, so yeah, we're great wizards at advice to everybody else, but hopeless at uh, taking it. Uh, from resilience to brand, BQ, brand reputation, image, impact, uh, you know, your, your job relies on your personal brand, your really? reputation, your image, your being trusted, a trusted advisor on financial and wealth management issues. Um, what do you do to learn about you know, feedback on yourself, 360 feedback, how people perceive you? Um, is it aligned with how you see yourself? Um, because your reputation is what people say about you when you're not in the room, not, not what they say about you when you are in the room. So what, what you, what's your advice on this? I, 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 look, that's a very, very easy question to answer. And I think look, if you're, if you, you the, I think the, the best advice you get quite often is from the the people perhaps more junior to you who look up to you and ask them how you know it, it, i think it absolutely encourages people if you say to them um look uh, i want you to let me know if there's any anything, what we're doing at the moment if there's any things you think we could do better i could do better you know have a think about it what what things are we doing that you know if, if you and me you would do differently and things like that firstly that a, you get you get some interesting feedback if 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 they're honest and genuine about it, which most people are. Um, and secondly, um, you also I think encourage others to feel more highly regarded and more involved in whatever it is you're doing. Um, and and I I think it's something I learned really quite a long time ago was to say to people, look, if you if you can see a better way of us doing this please let me know um, because that also takes away the opportunity for anyone to have a moan about the way you're doing things um, because you're asking them to help you make it better before they've done that and I think that that's my win really there. Yeah great 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 one I love that and then legacy is the last part of the compass before we go on to uh, talk about teams book recommendation and your top tip but what would you <coughs> legacy is about leaving a, a stewardship leaving things better than you found it uh, what would you like your legacy to be uh, in your lifetime as well as after you've gone? Yeah, um, I, 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 I would like to think um, that professionally, um, the, that the clients and people um, that I have 
looked after, been involved with in a bit in a business perspective, um, will occasionally uh, mention some of the, the use of my catchphrases or mention some of the things that I've said or um, would remember some of the, the comments I've made, the, the one we made earlier on about look, do the right, just do the right thing, do the right thing and it'll all be okay. Um, it, you know, those sorts of, uh, of ideas and uh, finding that person in the room who's got nobody to speak to, finding and going and talking to them, having the confidence in yourself and so on. But just remembering some of those words of advice that that I'd be so touched if people, some people, you know, quoted me on that and, and, and remembered. Um, I think um, with uh, what I do in, in in what I've done in the theatre world will be to, to just remember fun and, uh, you know, us, 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 us having a lot of fun helping other people uh, by raising money to help other people. And, and you know, there, there are many stories, I, although I couldn't remember the funny one earlier on, but um, there, there are very many. Um, some not suitable for this, this forum. But it's... Um, uh, but I, but I, I think really is, is to be remembered as, as you know, as a good person who tried to tried to help people in some way or other, encouraged, um, helped the underdog a little bit, helped those who perhaps didn't have the same good fortune that I've, I've had in some respects in my life. Um, and those perhaps who didn't have a role model. And, and, and I think to be to be a role model of not taking things too seriously, to to have and, you know, enjoy oneself in what you do professionally um enjoy oneself and what you do in your spare time and if you don't enjoy something either change it or stop doing it but don't carry on doing it and telling everyone you don't enjoy it um you know we've all got choices so uh but that that sort of thing really is my my my, my thoughts on that yeah and and think about legacy i i see a picture behind you with a coat of arms on is that some yes, a historical a... bit of legacy what's what's that all about tell me it's it's uh i i i i I, I found a, 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 some, some details of the, of the Denman family and, and a coat of arms. I'm not quite convinced that if you went to somewhere else, you find, wouldn't find a different set of coat of arms. But it's, uh, um, but no, it's, 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 it's there. It just talks about the Denman family and how the name originated. Oh, that's right. And how, how did it originate? Can you remember? Yeah, it, it was uh, uh, people um, in, in an area, in a, in a clearing in a wood, and uh, um, and uh, it was, I think it was an, an Anglo-Saxon, um, it derived from Anglo-Saxon, so it's, there's no, there's no, there's no fantastic, there was a sort of Denman who, uh, well, there'd been one or two famous Denmans in, in, in the past, but it wasn't something as if there was some, it wasn't sort of the Richard the Lionheart or anyone like that, so. Um, you, you remind me of, uh, uh, when I was with the Scots Guards, we, uh, we had a cavalry regiment with us who were very pucker and uh, mm. a number of the officers were arguing over whose ancestor had come across to England with William the Conqueror and this kind of stuff. And they were trying to out, out sort of big each other. And the commanding officer was a very languid guy. And, uh, and uh, he put down his newspaper and he said, my ancestor was William the Conqueror. <laughs> lift up his newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Rollo was his name. Um, oh, it was a name like Rollo. That's great. Um, so executive teams, you, you've worked with a number of teams over the years, yes. good teams and toxic teams. Uh, what, what's your advice and, and how, how have you seen people deal with toxic individuals that make a team toxic and, and how have they made it more high performing? What's, what's been your experience and your advice? Well, I think um, uh, I, I, I learned um, a long time ago from um, a gentleman who was involved in the uh, team building side of the England rugby team, 
in the years leading up to them winning the World Cup in 2003. And he did a, 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 a talk for me when a, me and a colleagues, not just for me, obviously, but for colleagues um, at a private bank I was working for. Um, and this is around 2006 or something like that. And um, the, the thing he, he said, look, um, and this has always stuck in my mind, he said, when he uh, became involved in Team England, um, whenever that was in the, I'm guessing the late 90s, he, um, he said there were, um, there were three sorts of people. He said there were the people who were completely on side for what the team wanted to achieve. There were those people who, second in the second group, who um, with a bit of persuasion and coaching and the right leadership could also join the, um, uh, the group who were completely on side with what the team's objectives were. And then he said that look, there were a third, there were a third group of people, and he described, he used the word, they were traitors. Now that wasn't to say that they were necessarily doing anything bad in any way, but they were people who didn't have the same um, outlook as the people who were really on side with the team. They might have been individually fantastically talented people, but as a team, they 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 were not. They were not part of a team. They were they were out for singular glory. Potentially, they were people who were um looking to you know be, be, to shine in their own right but not to be part of the team and he said look what you had to do was to you had to you know keep the good guys get the people who were more or less on side perfectly properly on side and you had to lose the traitors um and he didn't name names he didn't need to name, name, name names it wasn't about that it was the theory of the whole thing and i think that in any team situation if you are you're as likely as not to find people who are not don't have the same, don't share the same objectives as the team. They're, they're there because they have to be, or they're employed to be, or they're paid to be, or whatever it might be, or they think they ought to be, but that they don't. And the, the simple, in my opinion, the simple uh, answer to that is to, to have a conversation with them individually, to go and find out why they're not, to understand what makes them tick, to understand, you know, is this the right thing for them? Would they not be better doing something slightly different? Um, and that isn't about getting rid of people. It's just understanding what the issue is and why they don't take perhaps in the way that, that, that the rest of the group do. Um, but the only way to deal with it, I think, is to have an individual one-to-one -one conversation with those people and find out the issues and find out what it is. And is it because they think they should be the chairman or they should be the, the you know, the, the, the head honcho in that group or, or whatever it might be? Um, and, and if it is, well, look, give, give them tips on how they get there. Um, not just, you know, but for some people, some people just end up, you know, the square peg in the round hole, don't they? Not mm. everyone ends up in the right role. And sometimes you help people enormously by getting them out of their, their the round peg out of a square hole and finding a round hole for them. Because that's, um, if nobody's taken the time, and maybe, maybe that they'll always be the square peg. Uh, that's brilliant. And there's the other one, which is the keeper test that if they were to go to another team or another organization on the same salary, and they said they were about to go, would you fight hard to keep them? Or would you be very happy and relieved that they'd gone? If, if they are not passing the keeper test, then why have you got them in the team? And, and you, you need to know that you would fight for them and they're really top talent. I think that's good. So um, before we go into the, the, the top tip uh, where you'll introduce yourself again, what would be your book recommendation? Something good on leadership that you've read over the years that you find good and you recommend to the people listening to the podcast? Okay. Um, yeah, I was thinking more of just a general book recommendation okay. rather than one that's yeah, on, on, on leadership. And I just it harked back to the the, the, the book which I've I've 
haven't read for a while just because it's been a very very busy last few years but um i've read more than once is is birdsong by sebastian Fawkes, which uh oh. um which is uh, a, a book wholly ingrained in the in the first world war and i i hark back to the beginning of this 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 interview when we talked about my grandfather and that was something that i I, I realized that having had no experience of the First World War um, at all and not even discussed it with my, my late grandfather, it was something that I've, I found myself incredibly interested in. Mm. And when I happened to pick that book up as a recommendation by um, an old friend, uh, and it was the most astonishing read for me, and it was, um, and it was so beautifully, I just thought beautifully written and, and hark back to, to help me imagine what it must have been like uh you know um all those years well over 100 years ago now for my for my grandfather yeah um so so tough for them wasn't it yeah so um but yes i hadn't thought of that that question in in no, light of bird song, bird song but, is uh, one i will definitely now have a listen to and, and thank you for that um that's great so let's go into the the final two minute top tip would you just introduce yourself uh -huh. again paul and uh, share what your top leadership tip would be and why you found it helpful, why you think others listening would find it helpful. Yeah, um, hello, I'm Paul Denman. Um, I work in financial services. I help people to manage their, uh, their finances for them themselves, their families and their and future generations. Um, my, my, my top tip really for, for, for everybody who listens to this is uh, to listen to everybody in the room and not just the loudest people. If you're sitting in a in a in a meeting environment where there may be, you know, 10, 15, 20 people, it is very easy to listen to the loudest person and the most confident person who almost certainly will speak the most. Um, I, I've made a point in 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 my life of giving everybody the opportunity to say something by perhaps going around the room and saying, right, let's go around the room from the left. I'd like your Please can you give me your opinion on what we've just been discussing so we can hear your opinion. Therefore, you hear everybody, not just the loudest. That way, I think also you're treating everybody fairly. You're getting everybody has the same opportunity to give their point of view. Um, and I think you come out with better outcomes. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Well, still in line, Paul. Um, but I really thank you for being on the Inspiring Leadership series uh, and for sharing your life story and some of your insights. Much appreciated. Thank you. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, Get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.